I hope we're being encouraged as we go along here together. Um, I am just so grateful to be among you again, and then don't take that for granted at all. And as we end today, it's going by fast. You, do you agree? I'm just like, wow, here we are, and this conference is almost complete. But excited to be here tomorrow morning as well, and there will be a slight continuation from the conference too, so I hope to see many of you there um, as well. Let's get our Bibles open to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, again, just to make sure we're all on the same page. Last night, the foundation of our pursuit is abiding. And we saw in this morning, the greatest enemy of our pursuit of Christ is sin. And now we're going to see this. Why are we doing this? What is the ultimate goal of this? The goal of our pursuit is glory. And this is one of my life verses, life texts anyways, that we get to go through right now. And so it's such a joy for me every time I'm in this. It just blesses me. I pray it's going to bless you so much too. Colossians uh, chapter 3. In the end, we're going to see again the goal of our pursuit. And by the way, this is a major motivation um, as to why we keep on living on a day-to-day basis for Christ. This is a huge part. And you're going to see as Paul explains that uh, right now. Colossians 3 verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, uh, not on things that are on the earth. Why? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I love verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, we're going to end here today. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And that was a great spot for and amen. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. And let me just take a moment. Father, I pray you will take these verses now and you will supernaturally cause us to see, uh, rejoice, and live them out. Lord, as we end here today, thank you for the attention of your dear saints. Thank you for their hunger for you. I can see it as I preach. Thank you for their devotion to you and their desire to see you speak and you uh, change us all. Bless, bless you, holy God, uh, now. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. We dig into this text. I want you to notice the very first word in verse 1 because it sets up the entire passage. Look at verse 1, and you will notice the word, at least my translation says, if. Uh, Your translation might possibly have the word since. It's a small word that is what? It is the condition of the text. Uh, The word if there, uh, if then you've been raised with Christ, if points to the indicative the indicative that now becomes our imperative. Another way to say that as well, it points to if then you've been raised with Christ. If this is your reality, what Christ has done for us uh, in the past, now determines, listen carefully, now determines what must take place in the present. Okay, so some of us understand what I just said, some of us don't. Let me do one more lap around a track um, so we can all kind of get on the same page. So Paul opens up this segment with, if, condition, if then you've been raised with Christ, indicative past reality, because what Christ has done, now seek the things that are above, again, imperative, the command that comes in, again, which, which, which must be our present reality if we are truly saved in Christ. See what he's doing here? He basically is saying, listen, hey, are you alive in Christ? You gotta look like it, man. Are you truly born again in Jesus Christ? If God truly saves you, he's gonna be changing you. If God has caused you to be regenerated, there's gonna be fruit coming from your life. If then you've been raised with Christ, again, seek the things that are above. So let's just unpack it in different terminology in terms of you know, soteriology or our salvation. If then you've been set free from sin, 
If then you've been spared the wrath of God, if then you've been delivered from the domain of darkness, if you've been transferred into the kingdom of the Son he loves, if then you've been drenched by the mercy and grace of God, if then death has no victory over you, if then nothing can separate you and I from the love of God, if your hope, living hope we just sang, is absolutely secure, if you are free in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have and hold to an unstoppable glory that is coming for you at any moment, if then you You've been raised with Christ. You know Paul's going somewhere with this, right? I mean, just this awesome man. If then you've been raised with Christ, you can almost hear his passion and conviction growing because this is his whole essence. This is everything Paul lived. If you're alive in Christ, then look like you're alive in Christ. You know what I'm saying? If this theology, that's why I walk into churches sometimes, man, in just, in just different places, and you look around, you're just like, man, the people here look like they're dead. Not y'all, not y'all at all, okay? But I go in certain places and just like these songs of glory are on the screen and they're just kind of going, I'm just like, what is wrong? Are we, there's a disconnect here right now. There's a disconnect between what we say we believe and what actually is being portrayed in our lives. I'm not saying you have to walk around as happy, happy Christian, Christian all the time, okay? I'm not into happy, happy, happy Christian all the time. But I'm saying if there's a reality of joy and Christ in your life, it overcomes circumstances and it comes forth sometimes in tears and again, sometimes repentance, but there's fruit coming from your life because if then you've been raised with Christ, Look like it, amen, church, right? By the Spirit, by His grace, it's His work in us, but it should be seen from, I'm telling you, that truth right there would change the church in our day. The men and women of the Lord Jesus Christ, if they see again what they say we believe, man, I'm telling you, that applied and lived would change the entire spiritual landscape of our day as well. So this becomes our opportunity by the Spirit of God and for His glory God, change us, move in us. And maybe we see this. So, one of the great questions we're asking as we approach this text, if this is my reality, then what should be the fruitfulness of my, if this is my pursuit, how do I know? What are the indicators that God is at work in my life? We're gonna go through a little self-exam right now, okay? If I'm on this path, if this is my pursuit, what should this look like? Number one, it should look like this, my ambition will be heaven, My ambition will be heaven. Look at the rest of verse one. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The verb that stands out to me right away is the verb seek. The declaration is we've been raised. The obligation then is to seek. If you've been raised, we must seek the things that are above. If you've been set free in Christ, live as though you are free. Seek, 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 seek. What? Seek the things that are above where Christ is. I mean, I remember so clearly. Um, so I grew up in a good Christian environment. I just didn't apply it to my life. I, 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 it was very interesting. I got dr- dramatically saved at, at age 22. I believed in God. I did not know God. I believed in God to the point I would defend somewhat of the Christian faith to my friends around me on some some level. But I believed in God enough. I actually, this, I believed Christ was going to return, and I also knew where I wasn't going. Isn't that so weird? That, that's the wickedness of the human heart. There was deep down, because I brought up on this, I believed Christ was going to return, and I believed I was going to hell when he did. Like, how dumb do you have to be to believe that and do nothing about it? Well, that, that is the depravity of the human heart. 
And so, because I love myself too much and I worship myself, at the end of the day, I wanted, I wanted my own pleasure more than I wanted the Lord. Well, God broke through when I was 22, and I had a, I had a very, very dramatic conversion. Texts like this just absolutely, uh, when I saw these verses for the first time ever, I'm like, oh man, this is the greatest freedom. So what happened, I remember, I remember, so I was in university, came out of university, um, and what I was taught in, in university primarily is you need to make as much money as you can so you can just die. And I was like, that's one of the things that really kind of stopped me to say, okay, so I go out, make as much money as I can, and then you die. I'm like, there's got to be more to life than this. And that's when the Lord started to really speak to me. I'm telling you, one of, the, one of the greatest points of freedom is if then you've been raised with Christ, you don't have to seek the things of the earth anymore. You don't have to let the things of the earth become your identity. You don't have to let the kind of car you drive, the clothes you wear, the home you live in, the job you have be the defining element of your existence. And everything I was taught in the culture of university I went to, that was kind of it. Your whole identity is in what you can accomplish and produce and the kind of things that you have. And so all of a sudden in Jesus Christ, one of the verses that showed up so much too is that is this, your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. And I'm like, say what? You know? And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. My identity is not in this world. My identity is not my job. I'm a banking. My identity is now in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I was, I was jumping for literal joy at the realities. My life does not consist in the abundance of my possessions. In your face, world. In your face, evil one. In your face, culture. I will not be defined by you because now I'm defined by Christ and he is my identity. The freedom of taking that. That's really what's happening here in this text too. Paul's like, you've been raised with Christ? Man, you don't have to worry about the world anymore. The world is nothing. Philippians 3, it is dung. You can now live for Christ and the power of that. I mean, who's that for right now? Who's here right now in this conference to hear that? Stop living for that which will never fulfill your identity. Live for him who is your identity and the only one at the end that actually matters. All the trinkets in the world will never even hold a candle to the light and the glory of the salvation that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, when you realize where we're going, your ambition changes entirely. If then you've been raised with Christ, don't seek the earth, man. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your minds again on things that are above. It's very interesting. Notice in our context of Colossians 3, again, whenever you're reading God's word, context can be king. It's so helpful. Look at the end of chapter 2, what flows into our passage. Look at chapter 2, verse 20. Look at Paul's argument here. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, if you've been raised with Christ and you're no longer living for that, why is if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. I mean, he's referring primarily to, to the bondage of legalism. I mean, what Paul's saying here right here, he's like, listen, if you've been set free in Christ, why are you reverting back to the legal, legal, legalistic principles of the world? Why would you go backwards when Christ has saved you from such things? Why would you put yourself under bondage again when Christ has died that you might be crucified with him and no longer have to live for such things that are so empty? Why are you seeking the things of the earth when Christ has called us to seek the things that are above? It's interesting, in this, in this example that Paul gives in the last part of chapter 2, Again, legalism is what's in its essence. It's interesting if you look at legalism, legalism kills our identity in Christ. I'm not sure who's here this applies to, but God does. Legalism kills our identity in Christ because ultimately legalism is built on self-sufficiency. Legalism is I'm doing it. 
as opposed to Christ has done it for me. Legalism is earthly, and we live in Christ, of course, who is heavenly. Legalism is the opposite of seeking the things above. Legalism is of the flesh. So a question we have to ask, whether it's legalism or something else, ask yourself this question, where has my ambition gone earthly? Pause, consider, and apply. Where have my thoughts, ambitions, desires gone earthly as opposed to heavenly? Again, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. You know, at the time of preparing this message, I sitting at my sermon desk, which is not super big at home, but it's such a place, a sanctuary for me, and I was kind of sitting and reflecting about it, and this verse has been so much to me over so many years, and I'm sitting on it, sitting on it, seeing the things that are above, and just reflecting, and, and then I remember I turn on my desk, and I look to my right, and my girls have put stuff, I have two boys and two girls, younger of the girls, and they will, they will make stuff for me and put it up on my office kind of wall beside me, and I looked to my right as I'm thinking about this text, and I kid you not, I saw this and put it on the screen for you. I saw this right beside me um, there. Now, now, I agree. I agree. <laughs> now, here's what you need to know. When I'm, when I'm preparing this message, and I look to my right and I see this thing right here, I did not ask, this is my daughter Bliss. I did not ask Bliss to do this. I don't know why she did this. Um, I don't know when it was put there. But I'm, but I'm telling you, you can tell that Bliss is also my affectionate daughter. You can see that there as well. A lot of hugs and kisses. Yeah, she's such a, she was the unexpected one. What a gift. What a gift. But notice that. I'm telling you, as I looked at this text and I looked at that thing, I'm saying, wow, hey, Robbie, if you could do one thing to bless your family, like this is also connected to abiding. It's all the same stuff. If you can do one thing as like an exhortation to respond hey, Dad, you want to bless me, Dad? It makes me emotional to talk about it because I know it's so spiritually true and powerful. Hey, Dad, you want to bless me? And you keep seeking the things that are above. You keep loving Christ. You keep saying the world's not it, and you keep holding up Jesus Christ as the greatest treasure. That'll be the greatest way you, whether she intended to say that or not, that's the message I'm receiving from the Holy Spirit. And that's the message you should be receiving from the Holy Spirit too. You want to be a blessing to your to your wife, to your, to your husband, to your family, to your children, to your church, to your community. You want to be a blessing? Then you seek the things that are above and you see what God does with that. It's so powerful and it's so beautiful. And so this is, this is our opportunity. My ambition must be heaven. Now why would we seek the things above? Well, think about it. This is where we truly belong. This is our home, Right? Now there are, I've always loved saying this too, you know, there are many Canadians in the house right now, and there might be some others, maybe a couple of Americans that let you in. That's great, yeah, no. uh, love, 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 love America. Maybe there's some other nationalities represented here, which is, which is so beautiful. Do you understand this though? If you are truly in Christ, you are not Canadian. Do you know that? You are not Canadian, you are actually heavenese. No, no, you are, you are. I, 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 I kid you not, Paul says in Philippians 3, my citizenship is in heaven. And that's our reality, right? Which is another bit of biblical proof that Paul gives to say we're not living for this world. So I took this so seriously. <laughs> oh, I guess he put it up, huh? That's so great. So I took the opportunity to change my passport, as you can see. Do you know how much trouble the U.S. Customs guys gave me when I showed them this? 
I did not do that. I'm not that dumb. I would never do that. But notice, here's what I want you to see, okay? Man, I look young in that picture, don't I? Wow, I've aged. I've aged. Um, um, here's my reality. This is my reality because Jesus Christ has saved me. I'm no longer ultimately Canadian. It's a thankful I am for our country. I'm so thankful. But in the end, it's earthly. And my reality is heaven. If you're saved in Christ, this is yours too. Like, I'm not, it's, it's not just a cute thing to say, oh, I'm heavenese. No, it's, it's reality. It's your reality. Your citizenship is in heaven. So therefore, we should live according to our reality. Again, that this is our ultimate passport. When I am pursuing Christ, I am seeking the things above. My ambition is ultimately heaven. Number two is this. My mindset is eternal. Look at, look at uh, Colossians 3 verse 2 now, right? So here comes another imperative based on the indicative that I've been raised with Christ. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Again, the most important phrase there is the imperative, set your minds. Why is Paul so focused on the mind? Why set your minds? Well, because the mind is where thoughts are formed and where behavior is ultimately found. What we dwell upon in our minds will contribute and result in, again, ultimately, the fruit of the behavior from our lives. If you've been raised with Christ, set your minds. And just as a form of teaching, I want to put up a little bit of a biblical counseling sequence here on the screen for you to understand again, um, take every thought captive, renew your mind. Do not be conformed to this world, Romans 12 verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may be able to discern again what is holy and pleasing to God. Notice this here, right? So what we fill our minds with will obviously result in what we think about. And what we think about, I suggest to you, will in some form or another result in forging our behavior. And where our behavior is, well, that's where we find our fruit. So let's just back this up a little bit. If we are filling our minds with incessant social media based on earthly things, well, our mind will contribute to our, we're thinking about those things. We think about those things, it's going to impact our behavior. And if we're living according to those things, well, that'll be the fruitfulness of our life or lack thereof for Christ. I'm telling you, like, this is why this is so important. What are you thinking about the most? If you want to find out what you love, what you where your heart is truly at, right? What you think about, how you spend your time, and um, where you, how you spend your money. God's money. That will indicate your heart and the affections of your heart. Thought life, uh, time actually used, and money. And Paul's here right here. He's like, hey, man, listen, listen. If you've been raised with Christ, you've got to think on things of Christ. You've got to think on things above. You've got to set your mind because the mind is so powerful. What we dwell upon. Uh, again, I mean, not to belabor this, but like uh, right here. If, if, if you dwell upon sensual lust day in, day out, it will determine the direction of your life. We know that. If we dwell upon personal success and business, is all we think about is constant personal selfish ambition that will determine the direction of our lives. If we think about my appearance as everything, I'm dwelling on, I'm feeling every thought, every Instagram thing I'm looking at, every whatever internet pursuit just things on TV, I'm just trying to get my self-identity in how I look, that will determine in large part the fruitfulness of your life. How sad is that? That's most of our world right now. It's most of our world. So again, 
This is why it's so important, the, the, uh, the direction of our minds and what we think upon. So um, I had a great-grandmother. Her name was Winifred Simons. Never got to meet her. But um, I understand she was a really wonderful woman of God. In fact, my parents have had a poem. And I, this is something I put in my book as well. But parents had a poem um, placed in their house for so many years. And, and it was after I was saved. And, I was, and this was written by hand by my great-grandmother, Winifred. I'm sure they called her Winnie. But this is what she wrote down. Okay, this is the prayer that, that she wrote in, in, in the form of a poem. O Lord, Lord, renew in me today a mind to please thee well, that seeks not high things but does choose in lowliness to dwell. This is like a summary of our whole weekend in some ways. Thy mind, O Christ, which for my sin led thee to Calvary, impart to me today, I pray, that I may live for thee. Help me to think on all things pure, things honest, lovely, true. You hear all the biblical references coming out. Since in myself, O Lord, I fall, thy mind in me renew. Great Grandma Winifred, bless her heart, huh? Bless her heart. Isn't that good? I think it's so beautiful. In fact, I've taped it to the front of my Bible for years now. Because this is the prayer that we can live by day by day. To say, I want to set my mind on things above. But according to our text, what do we do with our minds? Again, on things above, not on things that are on the earth. Why is that so important? Because, well, the world is just so worldly. Imagine that. I remember sitting in the, in the airport in Las Vegas. Now, before you judge me, <laughs> I was visiting my brother who lives just outside uh, Las Vegas in Henderson, Nevada. I was with my second son, Kale, and we're sitting in the airport and we're waiting for our flight right there where the gate is. And there's all these casino slots, of course, that are there. And the people are sitting there, money, pull, money, pull, money, pull, money, pull. And they're doing it over and over. And my second son, he's never, he'd never seen this before. He's like, Dad, what are those people doing? And I said, son, I have no idea. They are chasing after the wind. I said, so what they're hoping to do is they're hoping to get a jackpot. Because they think if they can get a jackpot, then this will be, it's actually a pretty beautiful gospel moment sitting there in Las Vegas airport, who knew, you know? So we're sitting there, and I said, son, even if they win, even if they get what they hope they desire, even that won't fulfill them. In fact, in the end, it will leave them more empty than when they begin, because they are chasing after something that will never satisfy. Who here is chasing after money right now? I mean, who here right now? You love money too much. And you keep thinking, if I can get a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, and this is your drive. You are setting your mind on things on the earth. It will not fulfill you. It won't. And Stop trying to convince yourself that it will. Nothing wrong with having money and being generous with the kingdom of God. Of course, God uses that. But you know what I'm saying. And hopefully you know what the Holy Spirit is saying right now as well. It's amazing. You know, you say, well, I'm not, I'm not playing the slots. I haven't been to a casino in my life, you might say. Oh yeah? What about some other forms of slot machines in our life? Again, uh, putting in and pulling down the slot of possessions. Putting in the money and pulling down the slot of, of just pride and just personal ambition. Uh, pulling down the money, pulling down the slot of, of position uh, in life and work and something that we're striving for. Again, putting down the, the slot of pornography or whatever it might be. It's amazing how it starts to apply to us in many different ways. One of my, one of my heroes uh, is George Whitfield, one of the greatest preachers ever, ever. I think it's like, it's like Jesus, 
Paul, George Whitfield, you know what I mean? Something like that. Like, like this, like the, like the fruit of his life was so, it's so massive and so undeniable in his heart and just, it's just awesome. He had a, he had a model. M- many men in his day had had a model which they sealed their letters with. And, and, and the motto of George Whitfield was in Latin, it was Astra Potamus. And what that means in English is, let us seek heaven. That's beautiful. You know, he was one of the most fruitful men who ever lived. Some people say, those who are heavenly minded are of no earthly good. I could not disagree with you more. I think that is an entirely unbiblical statement. I think what we're learning here right now is that the more heavenly minded you are actually in reality with sincerity, the more impact and urgency you have for the present because you know what, what's at stake and you know what counts and you know people are lost and going to hell and you want to see yourself being used for the gospel of Jesus Christ to save people because you're so aware eternity is coming. You're so aware of the glory that is rushing towards us and you want as many people as possible to join you in it. That's George Whitfield's testimony. Astropotamus, let us seek heaven. That's our pursuit, loved ones. That should define our lives, within our lives. So I'm a, I'm a former athlete, and I stress former bit of a jock growing up it, it, it causes me to still like sports if a couple of sports illustrations I will include in this message forgive me for those who aren't into sports but hopefully they can translate so um, I'm a big American football fan I cheer for the Buffalo Bills it's been depressing for many years I know um, they stink but that's okay there's always next year um, that means as a Buffalo Bills fan I'm directly opposed to the New England Patriots okay if they're is that, a, is that a clap for the Patriots? Is that what I'm hearing? So anyway, so I can't stand um, the Patriots. And you can't, how can you blame me, man? It's been like 19 years of torture with Tom Brady, right? Here's the thing. With Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and blah, 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 blah. Tom Brady's won six Super Bowls now. It's so discouraging, all right? So six Super Bowls, he won his six this past year. The thing about, I feel sorry for Tom Brady, okay? Because in the end, you can see his whole life is driven by here and now right? And who can blame him? I mean, how do you expect an unbeliever to act like a believer? But the reality is there's going to be one massive disappointment. In the end, in the end, he will come before God in some form, in some way. His life will be judged. He'll have all his Super Bowl trophies. He can bring his supermodel wife with him if he wants to. He could even bring Bill Belichick, his coach, okay? If he wants to, he can bring them all with him to have him in the end. The Lord will look upon that and say, that's nice. You got this, this, and this. But the only question he'll ask at the end is says, yeah, but do you have my son? See, maybe, you know, all, all of Tom Brady's accolades and wealth and beautiful wife and all the praise he's ever, all, all of that in the end will add up to less than nothing when eternity confronts him. We praise these people. We hold up the celebrities. We worship them to our shame and sinful behaviors. We pretend this is where life, but remember, remember, in the end, the playing field is down to one of two people. For Christ, against Christ, and that's all that matters. That day's coming soon, church. That day's coming soon. That helps us to live like what actually matters. Live in the reality of what will be. It's not going to be money and celebrity and power and fame. None of that will make a lick of difference. It will all come down to, have I been seeking what's eternal, or have I been seeking what's on the earth? So, you want to pursue Christ? Ambition is heaven, mindset is eternal, and thirdly this, my gaze must be on Christ then. That makes sense. 
I must look to Christ. Look at, look at verse 3. For you have died, love this verse, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ. We just sang before the throne of God our church last weekend. The phrase is so beautiful. My life is hidden with Christ in high. Awesome. Hidden with Christ um, in God. Look at that phrase. You have died. What does that mean here? It means that in Christ all genuine believers have died to sin. The penalty of sin has been paid in full. And because we've died in Christ, we are now alive in Christ. So think about it. If you've died to sin, the natural outcome or expectation is we need to put to death sin. You say, where are you getting that from? Uh, verse 5. Look at verse 5. Again, more, more context here. Notice. Put to death, therefore, based on all this incredible theology that you just read. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Ah, imagine that. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On the count of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked and living in them. But now you must put them all away. And they go on to list the sins of putting off the old self. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? Ready, ready? Genuine salvation. Listen, listen must lead to genuine transformation. It's right here in the text. Can't deny it. Irrefutable. Here it is. Right before us. And please see this, okay? Please notice this, this profound observation. Please notice that verses 1 to 4 come before verse 5. I know. Profound observation. Thank you for that. Yeah. Why? Why? Ready? Ready? Because it's the declaration that leads to the obligation. It's God's grace in us that leads to God's grace through us. Because we have died to sin, I have been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And right there, Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. Christ now lives in me. And therefore, he changes me from the inside out. That's my hope. That's my call. That's my security and yours too. So again, my life is hidden with Christ in God. Meaning, meaning. Christ is my life. He, his life, hidden in me. Nothing will ever take that from me. Uh, meaning Christ's future is my future. Think about that. Christ's inheritance is my inheritance. Christ's glory is my glory. Again, Christ's life is my life because my life is hidden with Christ in God. I want you to notice too, I want you to notice in these four verses primarily we're going through today, notice the word Christ shows up four times. In every verse, Christ is there. Why? Because all of life is lived in Christ. This is why we must fix our eyes on Him. Look to Jesus. I, I've always loved this thought and phrase. Ready? You will never stare in the face of Jesus Christ and feel let down. Ever. It's theologically impossible. It's like um, if you think your life is hard and all that kind of stuff, let's just take the example of the martyr Stephen. He is literally being stoned to death. Literally. Rocks crushing his skull by those who, with ultimate evil, hate him and are literally murdering him. At that moment, he looks up and has a vision of Jesus Christ. And he has the wherewithal and the peace of God and the glory of Jesus Christ to ask for forgiveness upon those who are murdering him. Do you think your life is hard? Has it been hard to that extent? I'm not diminishing the pain or suffering you've been through or I've been through. I'm not diminishing that. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you will never stare in the face of Jesus Christ and feel let down. Because when you look into the all-sufficiency, satisfying power and glory of the Son of God 
and where he is absolutely perfectly complete in every form of goodness. It's impossible theologically to truly fix your eyes on Jesus Christ and sense any level of insufficiency or incompleteness because that's just who he is. That's how good he is. That's how awesome he is. That's how glorious he is. This is why our gaze must be on Christ. That's why our pursuit is him and only him. So, are we pursuing Christ? If so, my ambition is heaven, my mindset is eternal, my gaze is on Christ, and then we end here. We end our conference here as this, my glory, my glory is guaranteed. I'm, I'm guaranteed to appear in glory. Look at, look at verse 4 now. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. How's that for a promise? Notice, notice the already, theologically, the already and the not yet. Notice the already in verse 3. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. That's the already. And now the not yet comes, right? Then, verse 4, then you also. So we have been given, again, everything in Christ. And yet, the, the, the not yet part is then you also will appear with him in glory. All of life found in Christ because he is your life. You also will appear with him in glory. That's the guarantee. That's the guarantee. You also, child of God here today, receive that promise. Look at that promise. Digest that promise. You also, this isn't this isn't a hope where you cross your fingers like, oh, I hope this happens. Oh, please let it happen. No, this is an absolute certainty. This is a guaranteed hope, biblical hope of certainty, of victory. When we know the outcome, how powerful it is to live in light of that. Let me illustrate that. A couple of years ago, I told you I'm, I'm a sports fan, um, college basketball fan. Uh, many of you won't have any. I asked the, the team in the back. No one had a clue what's happening with March Madness right now. So I'll explain to you a little bit. It's a big basketball tournament going on in the States. It's all the U.S. colleges. I'm a Duke Blue Devil fan. I have been for 30 years. Uh, they're in the tournament. They won last night. It was a good win. Really good. Woke up this morning, saw that. But a couple years ago, they are playing their arch rival, North Carolina Tar Heels. Okay? Another huge basketball school in North Carolina. Um, I was watching the game a couple years ago. And uh, my Duke Blue Devils were getting crushed, okay? So in the first half, they were down by 15-20. It was getting late. I go to bed early. I'm like, I'm not watching my team lose. I'm just going to go to bed. Forget this. I went to bed. I woke up the next morning. And um, I decided I'd check the score. And to my utter shock and delight, I found out that Duke staged an incredibly massive comeback playing in again in North Carolina and they come back and, and, and they won in overtime. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. No way. And I remember I, I, I recorded the game. So I went then and I rushed to the TV to turn the game on and I picked it up at halftime where they're losing by 20 and you know, before it got better, it got worse and they were losing less than by 25. It was going awful and my boys come in and say, dad, what are you doing? Oh, I'm watching the game and I, um, I, I record. He's like, oh, how's it going, dad? It's going terrible, but it's so great. You know what I'm saying? And they're like, well, what do you mean? And they're like, oh, I know the outcome. And so sure enough, they start to come back. They hit some threes. They get within 10, 5. They tie it up. They go into overtime. And they actually pull off this amazing shot at the end. And they win the game. And it's amazing to me. It's like, no matter how bad the game got, I had no stress. I wasn't concerned. In fact, I was feeling joy at the worst it got. 
because I knew the outcome. Isn't it amazing when you know the conclusion, how it frees you of stress and anxiety and worry? That's a silly earthly illustration, but let's bring out the heavenly reality that applies to our lives. In the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I know that when he appears, guaranteed, we also will appear with him in glory. Question then, loved ones, why is it that we're so worried all the time? Why is it we get so stressed out? Why do we lose sleep over such earthly things all the time? When in reality, God has already guaranteed the conclusion 100%. If you're in Christ, you cannot lose. Why is it again that we get so stressed out all the time? When in essence, we are watching a pre-recorded story that we ultimately 100% know how it ends and we win. Powerful. Powerful. And listen, it's not just a cute illustration now. It's true. It's true for me and you who are saved in Jesus Christ. What's our pursuit? What's our pursuit? It's got to be Christ. Everything else is just silly. It's got to be Christ. Think about it. Think about it. We abide in Christ. We combat sin. Why? Why? Because I want my ambition to be heaven. I want my mindset to be eternal. I want my gaze to be on Christ. Because I have been guaranteed glory. Who else can promise you that? No one. What else can promise you that? Nothing. Jesus is the best. And he loves you. And he invites you and I to a greater level of fruitfulness and living and passion and peace. Listen, he does not promise us ease. He does not promise us a life without suffering. He does not promise us a life without pain. In fact, he promised, I always say to our church back home, I always say, to follow Christ, life isn't easier. It's just so much better. But it is not easier. In fact, it is much harder, but it is so worth it. Why? Because when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. So, Father, as we end this time together, thank you for how rich it has been. Thank you again for the attention and focus of your people. You are so clear in your word. Every time, Lord, I, I, I look at these truths, I'm like, wow, that is so good. It is so right. It is so clear. Holy Spirit, may we live it now. May we live it. We've heard a lot. But I pray, I pray, I pray right now. You are cementing truths. You are giving us um, passion for glory, passion for heaven, passion for fruitfulness now. Yes, Lord, would you do that? Would you do that? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.